So like I said, tonight's drosh is going to be all about Torah and how Torah is forever. And this is going to be a rather long one. There's almost a hundred slides here to get through. Lots and lots, tons of scripture. Okay. So definitely make sure to have your notebook out, have your pencil sharpened or your pen ready to go because there's going to be a lot of information coming at you tonight. Now, as always, you can go check out our post on GodHonestTruth.com. Click on the link for this drosh. And you can not only find the live stream video right now, but after the live stream ends and we get the on-demand video uploaded, you'll be able to re-watch the on-demand video, catch up on parts that you might have missed, and also you'll be able to see the drosh slides that are being presented up here for you right now so that you can go through them at your own pace, stop at any particular one that you want to take some extra time on. And of course, the biggest benefit is my big head is not going to be in the way. You'll see just the slide itself, all the information, no big head. Okay. So go check it out. Godhonesttruth.com. Click on the post for Torah forever. Just real quick, some areas we're going to cover tonight. We're going to be getting into some information about Torah before Sinai. Yes, I said that. Torah before Sinai. <gasps> Shocker, right? That's not really spoken about a lot. And to be completely honest, full disclosure, this is just our opinion as well. But it's very interesting to think about. So that'll be our first thing. And just wait for that. It gets very, very interesting, like I said. Number two, we're going to be getting into what Scripture says about Torah itself. Okay, spoiler alert. Scripture praises Torah. Then we're going to be getting into what the Brit Hadashah or the AKA New Testament says about the Torah. We'll be doing some information about Torah in the New Kingdom. We're going to be getting into some more information about how Shaul or Paul upheld the Torah and what he thought about the Torah. We're going to be addressing some objections to the Torah. Some of those you may know, some you may not, but we're going to bring up the objections and explain or give some explanations about that from scripture and how it relates. Now, like I said, there's almost a hundred slides to go through tonight. Lots and lots of scripture. Make sure to have your notes ready. And we may be taking a short five minute intermission about halfway through, just depending on how things go. Now, I just had supper about an hour before we started to stream and I... Obviously, I'm drinking and sipping on water. So there may be a need for a five-minute intermission. So if it happens, don't worry. Five minutes, do whatever needs to be done and come back and we'll finish up the drosh. Now, of course, tomorrow, the on-demand version will have all that cut out, so you don't have to worry about it. But just want to bring it up for you so you're not shocked and surprised. First things first, the word Torah. That is Strong's H8451. Strong's definition defines it something as a precept or a statute. Okay, that's kind of all right, but not really getting to what Torah really is. The Jacenius' Hebrew lexicon states it as instruction or doctrine. Okay, that word instruction more accurately defines what Torah is. Yahweh's Torah is Yahweh's instructions for us. Now, it does contain the mitzvot. It does contain the laws as well. But the Torah as a whole is a set of instructions 
for us. Now, another thing I like about Jacinus's definition here is talking about human, right? Like human instructions, like a parent to their children, that kind of thing. That's going to be important in just a moment, so stay tuned for that. But I love how it phrases it right there. The Brown Driver Briggs lexicon defines it as such, law, direction, instruction. Now, direction and instruction, that really hits at the concept of Torah, directing us in how to go through our lives here on earth in the way that Yahweh created everything, giving us instructions for living life here on earth. That is a better rendering of Torah into English, a better rendering than law anyways. So let's dive right into it. And we're going to be talking about Torah before Sinai. Yes, we said that. And stay tuned, have your notes ready. Because like I said, this is going to be interesting. Now think real quick. What was the first commandment that was ever given after Yahweh created Adam and Eve. Do you know what it was? It was, of course, don't eat the apple. And as we all know, if Eve hadn't chose the apple, but instead had chosen Samsung, things would have been a lot better today. All right? No, we're just kidding. But seriously. Oh, I lost my train of thought there. Yeah. No, seriously, the first commandment that was ever given is in Genesis 1.28. And Elohim blessed them, and Elohim said to them, Be fruitful and increase, and fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over all creeping creatures on the earth. So the first ever commandment was to be fruitful and multiply. Populate the earth. I mean, that is our whole being here on earth is to worship and serve Yahweh. And the more there is, like they say, the more the merrier. Makes things a whole lot better for Yahweh, and that's what we should be striving for, is to worship and serve and do the things that Yahweh wants us to do. And that is contained in the Torah. So, how did the Torah exist before Sinai? Okay, we don't have explicit statements in scripture saying there was Torah before Sinai. Okay. But if you think about it, when you think about languages, the thing about languages is that generally, as far as I know, languages start out as spoken first. Okay. Unless they're constructed language like Esperanto or something, right. That we've got more in, in more modern times. But naturally occurring languages usually start out in a spoken format. It's only the written format that comes later. Okay? So, as Adam and Eve were created, and Yahweh was there with them before the fall in the garden, and walked through the Garden of Eden and all that stuff, it only makes sense that Yahweh would instruct his children, right? Adam and Eve, on how to do things how to live life, how to go about life on this earth. So there would have been that Torah. And as they had children and they fulfilled that first commandment, 
they would have reared and brought up their children and guided them like parents do today. Parents still teach their children about life. That's our job as parents. To raise them to navigate life and be able to be adults and, you know, not go off on the deep end. Be productive and responsible adults. So parents teach their children about life and how to live it. In, uh, sorry, in Proverbs 1.8, it states, My son, heed the discipline of your father and do not forsake the Torah of your mother. Okay, do not, ins- ah. do not forsake the instructions of your mother. Proverbs 7, 1 through 2. My son, guard my words and treasure up my commands with you. Guard my commands and live in my Torah as the apple of your eye, etc., etc., etc. This is something we all know implicitly, but I think it's worth saying explicitly in this context because as Adam and Eve raised their children, they would have given them instructions that would have been passed down to them from their father, Yahweh. Right? Just makes sense. Because the Torah is Yahweh's wisdom and instruction for us in this life on earth. Like we just went over earlier, right in the very beginning, right? And if you'll look at the timeline here of the genealogy, especially of the first, you know, 2,300 years or so, you can see there's a lot of lifespans that overlap each other and they have been able to get instruction not only from their fathers, but also their grandfathers, great-grandfathers, sometimes great-great-grandfathers, etc., etc. So they would have been able to have lots and lots of instructions and it would have been passed down from their lineage, which would have, you know, at the very beginning would have come from Yahweh. Now, like we said earlier, there's no explicit statement that Torah existed before Sinai. But we find concepts of Torah that was written down after Sinai in the scriptures concerning the history before Sinai. For example, Genesis 9.4 states, But do not eat flesh with its life, its blood. Okay, that's an, something that's explicitly stated in Deuteronomy 12.23. Only be strong not to eat the blood, for the blood is the life. Do not eat the life with the meat. Okay, so that was already existing before Sinai, as we just saw. Genesis 14.18. And Melchizedek, son of Shalem, brought out bread and wine. Now, he was the priest of the Most High El. Okay, that's interesting, right? Because we think of the priesthood as being started with Aaron and the Levites at Sinai. But here we can see way before Sinai that there was already a priesthood, a priest of the Most High El. Who is the Most High El? Yahweh, obviously. And Melchizedek was a priest of Yahweh. Genesis 38, 8, And Yehuda said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife and marry her and raise up an heir to your brother. 
Now, this is before Sinai. Stated again specifically in the law, Deuteronomy 25.5, when brothers dwell together and one of them has died, there we go, and has no son, the widow of the dead man shall not become a stranger's outside. Her husband's brother does go into her and shall take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. So this command also was way before Sinai. They already knew how to do this. How did they know how to do it? Right? How did they know about this concept? Genesis 39, 7-9. And after these events, it came to be that his master's wife lifted up her eyes to Yosef and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know that... I'm sorry, my master does not know what is with me in the house... And he has given into my hand all that he has. No one is greater in this house than I. And he has not withheld whatever from me but you, because you are his wife. And how shall I do this great evil and sin against Elohim? Joseph obviously was way before Sinai. Okay? And he already knew that adultery was a sin. How did he know this commandment? Think about Abraham. Twice Abraham lied to the king, uh, Abimelech, if I'm not mistaken. But he said that, you know, she's my sister. And then the king went to lie with Sarah, and it was revealed to him that she was actually married. And the king was abhorred at that point. He was totally frightened and didn't want his bad stuff to come up on him and his kingdom because he knew that adultery was wrong. Again, how would they have known this before Sinai if the Torah was only started and given at Sinai? Right? Look at Noah, Genesis 7, 2. Of all, these, of all the clean beasts, take with you seven pairs, a male and his female, and of the beasts that are unclean, two a male and his female, Genesis 7, 8. Of the clean beasts and of the beasts that are unclean and of birds and of all that creep on the earth, Genesis 8, 20. And Noah built a slaughter place to Yahweh and took of every clean beast and every clean bird and offered ascending offerings on the slaughter place. So way before Sinai, Noah knew about clean and unclean animals. Okay, again, if the Torah was only started and given at Sinai, how did Noah know about clean and unclean animals? We don't actually get to that ourselves until we get to I'm sorry, Leviticus 11. Verses 2 through 8 tell us about the clean and unclean land animals. 8 through 12 tell us about the clean and unclean aquatic animals. And 13 through 19 tells us about the clean and unclean birds. And then verses 20 through 23 tells us about the clean and unclean insects. On and on it goes. But Noah knew about clean and unclean animals. Got to ask yourself, how did he know this? Again, this is just our theory, but it would make sense that Yahweh would tell Adam and Eve about clean and unclean animals, and other stuff as well, and they would pass it on down to their children, so on and so forth. But again, at that time, it would just be a spoken language, passed down through stories, songs, things like that.
So even from the very beginning, we see that Cain and Abel knew to bring specific offerings. Okay, we find that uh, Cain did not bring an acceptable offering. Abel did bring an acceptable offering. We don't see for ourselves the offerings guidelines come in until after Sinai. So how did they know that? Cain also knew that murder was wrong. After Cain killed Abel, he tried to hide out and, you know, get away, deflect from what he had done because he knew that murder was wrong. How did he know that murder was wrong if the Torah did not start until Sinai? Okay, just things to think about. And that's why we believe that there was Torah before, excuse me, Torah before Sinai. So what is it that scripture says about Torah itself? Isaiah 42, 21. It has delighted Yahweh for the sake of his righteousness to make the Torah great and esteemed. Psalms 19, 7. The Torah of Yahweh is perfect, bringing back the being. The witness of Yahweh is trustworthy, making wise the simple. Psalms 119, 18. Open my eyes that I might see wonders from your Torah. This is pause right here real quick. If you know a little bit about scripture, you know that Psalms 119 is the longest book in, I'm sorry, is the longest chapter in scripture, right? And Psalms 119 is all about Torah. And praising Torah, how great Torah is, what comes out of Torah, etc., etc. If you get a chance, go read it. It goes right along with tonight's teaching. Proverbs 6.23 For the command is a lamp, and the Torah a light, and reproofs of discipline a way of life. Proverbs 28.4 Those who forsake the Torah praise the wrong. Those who guard the Torah strive with them. Now this is interesting, right? It says those who forsake the Torah, those who go against the Torah, are praising the wrong. But those who guard the Torah, those who do the Torah, strive with those who reject the Torah. <laughs> it states it right there in Scripture, but we live it out in our lives almost on a daily basis, right? And get an amen somewhere. I mean, whereas friends, family, co-workers, whatnot, they see us keeping Torah. They don't keep Torah. And there's some strife there. I had a job one time where they knew that I ate kosher, right? And they would rag me about it. And we had a good relationship, though. We would, you know, rag each other about this. They were more on the mainstream side of things, uh, Baptist and Church of God, maybe. But anyways, there was no hurt feelings. There was no mean-spirited stuff. It was all in good fun. Never did get through to them, but, you know, just saying there is some strife there between those who keep the Torah and those who reject the Torah. Proverbs 28, 9. He who turns away his earring from hearing the Torah, even his prayer is an abomination. Now, I come from a Baptist background, and if, you know, I was still of the Baptist way of thinking, that would hit hard, okay? 
to think that those who are in mainstream churchianity who reject the Torah, who turn their ears away from hearing the Torah, that didn't find out that their prayers are an abomination. That is, you know, that really gets to you. That's why we should turn our ear towards Torah, to hear it, to learn it, to study it, to do it. Psalms 119.72, again, Psalms 119. The Torah of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Torah is priceless. Psalms 119.10. I have sought you with all my heart. Let me not stray from your commands. 2 Kings 17.37. And guard to do forever the laws and the right rulings and the Torah and the command which he wrote for you. And do not fear other mighty ones. Joshua 1.8, do not let this book of the Torah depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you guard to do according to all that is written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous and act wisely. Again, Isaiah 51.7, listen to me, you who know righteousness, a people in whose heart is my Torah. Do not fear the reproach of men, nor be afraid of their revilings. You who know righteousness, a people whose heart is my Torah. And etc., etc., etc. There is almost 100 slides in this drosh tonight, like I said, but it doesn't even get to probably half of what Scripture has to say about Torah. It just goes on and on and on about how wonderful and how perfect and how great Torah is. And that's why my mind and those of us who are in the messianic mindset have a mind of Torah is great, right? That's why we want to learn and we fail from time to time, right? We don't get it right. We keep studying and we learn like, hey, we're doing this wrong. And we get ourselves corrected, but we have a heart for Torah and we're learning and we're perfecting ourselves. And that's the heart we need to have, a heart for Torah. So what about Torah and the Brit Hadashah or AKA New Testament? Well, we're going to start out with another hard hitting verse directly from our Messiah, Yeshua. Matthew 5, 18. For truly I say to you, till the heaven and the earth pass away, one yod or one tittle shall by no means Pass from the Torah till all be done. So even our Messiah is saying that the Torah has not been done away with, that the Torah will continue to last and be relevant to us until heaven and earth pass away. That not even the smallest part of the Torah will be gone until heaven and earth pass away. Just looked outside before we started tonight's live stream. Heaven and earth are still here. So if you believe our Messiah, Torah is still relevant and in effect. Matthew 5, 19. Whoever then breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches men so shall be called least in the reign of the heavens. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the reign of the heavens. This is something we're going to touch on more later on in tonight's drosh, but just want to bring this up real quick. 
because it goes right along with Matthew 5, 18, obviously. Um, you can see here that he's speaking about Torah, that whoever breaks one of the least of these commands, one of the commands in Torah, you break even one of the least of them, and you teach other people to break them as well, you'll be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, but if you do the commands of Torah and you teach others to do so, then you will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So what is this telling us here? Well, number one, that even people who break the Torah, there's even going to be those in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, they're going to be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but they're still going to be there. And that reiterates on the fact that we do not have salvation through Torah. We do not keep Torah for salvation. We keep it because we love Yahweh and we, because we love the children of Yahweh. But more on that, like I said, later up in the drosh. Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you tithe the mint and the anise and the cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the Torah, the right ruling and the compassion and the belief. These need to have been done without neglecting the others. So, do the weightier matters, do the less weightier matters, but do them all without neglecting any of them. It's not a pick and choose buffet menu. Acts 6, 13 through 14. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this set-apart place and the Torah. For we have heard him saying that this Yeshua of Nazareth shall overthrow this place and change the institutes which Moshe delivered unto us. Now, does any of you out there know who this is talking about? This is talking about Stephen, the one who's considered to be the first martyr in Scripture, well, after the death and burial, the death, burial, and resurrection of Yeshua, right? Now, look at closely at what it states right here as it pertains to our subject. It says that they set up false witnesses against Stephen. False witnesses, translation, liars. So they're not telling the truth. And these people who are not telling the truth said that Stephen does not cease to speak blasphemous words against the temple and the Torah. And he's going to overthrow the Torah, right? The institutes which Moshe delivered unto us. But they were lying because Stephen and the apostles learned from their rabbi, Yeshua, right? And Yeshua taught them to keep the Torah and to do the Torah. So Stephen and all the apostles would have kept the Torah and they would have done the Torah. The seventh day Sabbath, the feast days and the Moedim, etc., etc., Zitzit. So they were lying when they said that Stephen was coming against the Torah. 2 Peter 3.17 you then, beloved ones, being forewarned, watch, lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away by the delusion of the lawless, or those who don't have Torah. 
They're under a delusion and watch yourself that you don't go along with them. James 1.22 And become doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Be doers of Torah, not just listeners. Do the Torah. James 1.25 But he that looked into the perfect Torah, that of freedom, and continues in it, not becoming a hearer that forgets, but a doer of work. This one shall be blessed in his doing of the Torah. Here, James is calling the Torah, the Torah of freedom. It's not the Torah of bondage. It's not the Torah of woe. It's the Torah of freedom. And that goes right along with everything else that we've already saw in the Tanakh, right? James 2.14 and 17-18 through 18. My brothers, what use is it for anyone to say that he has belief but does not have works? This belief is unable to save him. So also, so also belief, if it does not have works, is in itself dead. But someone might say, you have belief and I have works. Show me your belief without your works and I shall show you my belief by my works. I've always love this passage right here because it really hits it to it and it's going to be expounded upon more in Strash as well but notice that he equates your belief with your works what works are we to do our own works well i don't know about you but if i do things the way i think it should be done according to my rules and ways of doing things it doesn't work out so good but I've learned that if I just trust in Yahweh, obey his commands in his Torah, and do things the way he tells me to do, things work out a whole lot better. Right? So your work, I'm sorry, your belief, your faith, should also come along with works. You can tell someone's faith by the works that they do. And that goes along with the words of Yeshua when he says that you shall or recognize them by their fruit, right? This is what James is expounding on here. 1 John 5, 2 through 3. By this that we, I'm sorry, by this we know that we love the children of Elohim when we love Elohim and guard his commands. For this is the love for Elohim, that we guard his commands and his commands are not heavy. So how do we know that we love the children of God? When we love God, and keep the Torah. How do we know that we love Yahweh? When we do and keep and guard his Torah. And they're not difficult. It's not my words. You can see it right here on the screen. It says his commands are not heavy. Acts 5, 19 through 21. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the nations who are turning to Elohim, but that we write to them to abstain from the defilement of idols and from whoring and from that what from, from what is strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moshe has in every city those proclaiming him being read in the congregations every Sabbath. So this is, you know, part of the Jerusalem council there, but they're talking about newcomers to the faith, those who have newly been saved, okay? And they're telling them that to, first things first, they may be coming from a Gentile pagan background, right? 
So they're not used to all these things that are contained within Torah. So what they declared is that they start out with the most important things, and that is to abstain from the defilement of idols, from whoring, from eating what is strangled, and from blood. To immediately stop doing those four things. And then go to a congregation meeting, go to synagogue, right? And hear the words of Moshe, hear the Torah being read every Sabbath. And then as they keep going, they'll learn more and more and more and more. And they will grow in their faith and in their walk and in their understanding of Torah that way. So they didn't want to pile everything on top of them all at once as soon as they came in to the faith, right? Because that would just be overwhelming. So tell them to do these four things to start out with and then go learn more and more every week. So let's look at Torah in the future, in the kingdom of Yahweh, right? The kingdom of heaven. Micah 4, 1 through 2. And in the latter days it shall be that the mountain of the house of Yahweh is established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and peoples shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of Yahweh, to the house of the Elohim of Jacob, and let him teach us his ways, and let us walk in his paths. For out of Zion comes forth the Torah and the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem. So here we see that even in the future, in the kingdom of heaven, when all is said and done, that many nations and many peoples will go up to the mountain of Yahweh to learn the Torah, to be instructed in the ways and in the paths that Yahweh wants us to go and in the way he wants us to do things, even in the kingdom, right? Kingdom's not here yet, but we're still going to be doing Torah and learning about Torah in the kingdom. Hebrews 8.10, because this is the covenant that I shall make with the house of Israel after those days, says Yahweh giving my laws in their mind, and I shall write them on their hearts, and I shall be their Elohim, and they shall be my people. Again, writing his Torah on our hearts in the new kingdom. So Torah is still going to be relevant, not just in the past, not just now in the present, but also still in the future. So now this is going to be rather important section right here because if you go to a mainstream christian church you're going to hear if you hear anything about the law you're definitely going to hear something about shaul or paul right they're going to say oh paul taught against the law paul taught this paul you know etc etc against the law we're going to be looking into that but first, let's start with a quote from Bible.org. They state, One of the profound emphases of the New Testament, especially the epistles of Paul, is that Christians are no longer under the rule of the Mosaic Law. And this kind of encapsulates the 
way of thinking for most of those within mainstream Christianity, right? You got your Baptist, Methodist, especially Catholics, Episcopalians, et cetera, et cetera. This is their way of thinking when it comes to Paul and Torah. But what does scripture say about this? What does scripture tell us how Paul viewed the Torah? Acts 18, verse 11. And he remained a year in six months, teaching the word of Yahweh among them. Let me read that again. And he, Paul, remained a year in six months, teaching the word of Yahweh among them. Now, take into account, this is Paul, and this is after the death, burial, and resurrection of Yeshua. And what is he doing? He's going into the synagogues and he's teaching these people the word of Yahweh. What is the word of Yahweh? Okay. Nowadays, we think of it as the Tanakh and the Brit Hadashah, or the um, Old Testament and the New Testament, right? But back during this day, when this verse in Acts was written, there was no New Testament. Okay, you had letters here and there floating around maybe, but, you know, there was no New Testament that it was being handed out by the Gideons. So the word of Yahweh that was being taught and was being used and was being studied and read and that they went by was the Tanakh. Okay, so keep that in mind. So we see here that Paul was still teaching the Tanakh, especially the Torah. Acts 21, verse 21 and 24. But they have been informed about you that you teach all the Yudim who are among the nations to forsake Moshe, saying not to circumcise the children, nor to walk according to the practices. Take them and be cleansed with them and pay their expenses so that they shave their heads. And all shall know that what they have been informed about you is not so, but that you yourself also walk orderly, keeping the Torah. And these... The, uh, they're talking to Paul here, and it's, they're telling him that they've gotten reports that other people are going out and saying that Paul is teaching against Moshe, teaching against the Torah, right? So they tell him to prove them wrong and to prove that he does keep Torah. And how does he do that? He takes a Nazarite vow found in the Torah, not the Brit Hadashah. The Nazarite vow is found in the Torah. So Paul takes this vow and proves that he does keep and teach the Torah. Also notice right here that the people who are bringing these false accusations are also accusing Paul of telling people to not circumcise. And if you'll notice a little later on, when him and Timothy are on a trip, he actually circumcises Timothy, right? So... He's not teaching against circumcision either. Again, found in the Torah. Romans 3.31 Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. And that's got to be one of the most powerful statements from Paul about the Torah. Let me read it again. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. 
Yay, we establish the law. We establish the Torah. We don't nullify it. We don't make it void. We establish it. Romans 10, 4-5 For Messiah is the goal of the Torah unto righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moshe writes about the righteousness which is of the Torah. The man who does these shall live by them. This is Paul writing that the man who does the Torah shall live by them. Romans 2.13 For not the hearers of the Torah are righteous in the sight of Elohim, but the doers of the Torah shall be declared right. That goes along with what we just read in James, right? That don't be just doers, I'm sorry, don't be just hearers, but be doers of the Torah. And Paul says here in Romans 2.13 For not the hearers of the Torah are righteous in the sight of Elohim, but the doers of the of the Torah shall be declared right. So just sitting here, sitting there hearing of the Torah and not doing anything, those are not the ones that are righteous in the sight of Elohim. Paul states that the doers of the Torah shall be declared righteous in the sight of Elohim. Romans 7, 7. What then shall we say? Is the Torah sin? Let it not be. However, I did not know sin except through the Torah. For also the covetousness, ugh, I knew not if the Torah had not said, you shall not covet, Romans seven twelve, so that the Torah truly is set apart and the command set apart and righteous and good. Now, in some translations, instead of set apart, they'll have the word holy. That's what holy means, set apart. So you might read it in some translation that says that, that the Torah is holy and the command holy, right? But here, Paul is calling the Torah holy. He's calling the command holy. He's calling the Torah righteous and good. That's what Paul has to think about Torah. Romans 7.14 For we know that the Torah is spiritual, but I am fleshly sold under sin. Romans 7.25 Thanks to Elohim, through Yeshua, Messiah, our Master. So then, with the mind, I myself truly serve the Torah of Elohim, but with the flesh, the Torah of sin. So even Paul says that he serves the Torah of Yahweh. <clears throat> First Timothy 1.8 And we know that the Torah is good. If one uses it legitimate, legitimately. <clears throat> Romans 8, 3-9 For the Torah being powerless, in that it was weak through the flesh, Elohim, having sent his own Son in the likeness of flesh of sin, and concerning sin, condemned sin in the flesh, so that the righteousness of the Torah should be completed in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh <clears throat> set their minds on the matters of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the matters of the Spirit. For the mind of the flesh is dead, but the mind of the Spirit is life and peace, because the mind of the flesh is enmity towards Elohim, for it does not subject itself to the Torah of Elohim, neither is it indeed is it able. And those who are in the flesh are unable to please Elohim. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, 
if indeed the spirit of Elohim dwells in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Messiah, this one is not his. This passage right here, definitely write that down. Look at it again and again. Okay. But as we've seen, Paul does not teach against Torah. And these are just a few sections that we pulled out. We could include some more, but like I said, this drosh is already going to be long enough as it is. This is why we always invite you to go on and go further in your study and do your own study so that you learn even more than what you might learn on a teaching like this video. So now, let's look at some objections to the Torah that are commonly raised. First off, the law was too difficult to keep. It's just too hard. No one could ever do it. it was, you know, it's just too difficult. Okay, how much sense does that make when you really think about it? Why would Yahweh intentionally give us something that he knew we could not keep, that he knew was way too difficult for us? That makes no sense at all, because that would make the Almighty God a hateful and cruel God. And we know that's not Yahweh. So even the presupposition about this objection makes no sense. It doesn't even start out good. But what does scripture say about Torah and the ease or difficulty of keeping it? <clears throat> Deuteronomy 30, 11. For this command, which I am commanding you today, it is not hard for you, nor is it far off. States right there that the Torah is not too hard for you. <clears throat> then in the Brit Hadashah, 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love for Elohim, that we guard his commands, and his commands are not heavy. Some translations it says that his commands are not burdensome. But regardless, people might have the objection that the Torah is just too difficult. But they're not reading and studying their scripture. Because scripture says that the Torah is not too difficult. And those of us who have been keeping Torah for a while, know this to be true, that it's not too difficult. We have to die to ourselves and our own personal desires and wants, and that may be difficult, but we get over that part, we find out that Torah, no, it's not difficult. Another objection, only the laws restated in the New Testament are to be followed now. Okay, this is fairly new on the scene, but I have heard it a couple times. There are problems with this, obviously, because there are some things that are not restated in the Brit Hadashah that, well, it's kind of cringy. Number one, incest is not, you know, forbidden in the Brit Hadashah, but it is in the Torah. Bestiality, Again, not forbidden in the Brihada Shah, but it is in the Torah. Necromancy, communing with mediums, 
It's not forbidden in the Brit Hadashah, but it is in the Torah. And we could go on and on. There's more than just these three. But think about this. If it's okay now to do anything not restated in the Brit Hadashah, that would mean that you're saying that it's okay to engage in incestuous actions. It's okay to engage in bestiality. It's okay to engage in necromancy. Okay? And that just does not make sense. That goes against Scripture. It goes against our common sense, or at least most of us too, but it goes against Scripture, and it goes against what Yahweh wants for us. <clears throat> Another objection. The Torah was only for the Jews. We don't have to follow that Jewish law. Okay, this is something you've probably heard more than once, we'll put it that way. That the Torah, it was only for the Jews. Or it might be restated something like, well, it's only for the Hebrews for a certain period of time, and now we're in a different period of time. Okay, that's dispensationalism, and... Ooh, gosh, there's whole lots of things wrong with that. This, that's another teaching in and of itself. But was the Torah just for the Jews? Let's look at that real quick. Because, number one, let's define and understand what a Jew is. <clears throat> First of all, a Jew is someone of the direct lineage of the tribe of Judah. Number two, a Jew is someone of the lineage of the southern kingdom of Judea, which comprised Judah, Levi, and parts of Benjamin. Number three, a Jew is also someone of the Jewish faith. Okay, so there's three different scopes that the word Jew can refer to. But, more importantly, <clears throat> There's not one single place in all of Scripture where it refers to the Torah, to the, where it refers to the law of Moses, where it refers to the word of Yahweh as the Jewish law. Okay? We have looked, and then we looked some more, and then we kept looking and looking and looking. We cannot find that anywhere in Scripture. If you know where that's located in Scripture, where we've missed it, by all means, send it to us. Let us know. But until proven otherwise, Scripture does not call the Torah the Jewish law. That's something that's made up probably by Catholicism, I'd say. Can't prove it, but anyway, it's parroted by mainstream Christianity nowadays, calling the Torah the Jewish law. And Really, at the end of the day, that comes down to, you know, probably mild anti-Semitism right there. Not doing something because the Jews do it, and you don't want to do anything those Jews do, right? No. Torah was not just for the Jews. Torah is not the Jewish law. Torah is Yahweh's instructions. Yahweh's law. Now, we don't find the term Jewish law in reference to the Torah in Scripture, but we do find the Torah referenced as God's law, Yahweh's law, law of God, law of Yahweh, and the law of Moses, right? Obviously, we all 
I've heard that before. But never, not once, is it referred to as the Jewish law. Exodus 12, 49. There is one Torah for the native born and for the stranger who sojourns among you. Okay, native born. Does that mean Jew? No. That means those who are Hebrew of the nation of Israel. Right? Also, take note that if you go along with our theory about Torah before Sinai, then you will know that it could not be the Jewish law because the term Jew or anyone who was a Jew did not start until Judah, right? It wasn't Abraham. He wasn't a Jew. It wasn't Isaac. Jacob, they weren't Jews. Adam and Eve, they weren't Jews. So it couldn't be the Jewish law. And even if you go along the lines of Torah being handed down at Sinai, okay, even then it doesn't work because at Sinai, there wasn't just the tribe of Judah. There was all 12 tribes and a mixed multitude. As we covered with the Pesach teaching, when the people left Egypt, it wasn't just the Hebrews that came out of Egypt. They also brought with them a mixed multitude. So even then, it wasn't just for the tribe of Judah. It wasn't just for the Jews. It wasn't the Jewish law. It wasn't even just for the Hebrews. It was for everyone. Okay? And this verse right here says there would be one Torah for those of you who are native and those of you who are foreigners. So it's not even just the Hebrew law. It's for everyone, especially everyone who comes in to being a child of Yahweh. Leviticus 24:22, You are to have one right ruling for the stranger and for the native. I am Yahweh, your Elohim. Numbers 9:14. And when a stranger sojourns among you, then he shall perform the Pesach of Yahweh. He shall do so according to the law of the Pesach and according to its right ruling. You have one law, both for the stranger and the native of the land. Numbers 15, 16. One Torah and one right ruling is for you and for the stranger who sojourns with you. Numbers 15, 29. For him who does whatever by mistake, there is one Torah, both for him who is native among the children of Israel and for the stranger who sojourns in their midst. 1 John 3, 4. This is very important. Everyone doing sin also does lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Right here in Scripture, we get a definition for what sin is. So the definitions are not up to a particular denomination. It's not up to a particular priest, preacher, reverend, whatnot. It's not even up to us as individuals to define what sin is. Scripture tells us right here on screen that sin is breaking the law, breaking the Torah. So when you break the Torah, you have sinned. And that's very important to remember because as Romans 3.23 tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the esteem of Elohim. 
all have sinned. You're watching someone who has sinned right here on your screen. And I know those of you out there listening right now, you have sinned before too. Probably never met you, but Scripture says that all have sinned. Okay, me and you. That's why we needed Yeshua. So, objection. Paul or Shaul taught against the Torah. We've already covered this somewhat, but let's go over some more specific points. Romans 6.14 For sin shall not rule over you, for you are not under the law, but under favor. Whoa, hang on. Paul right here says we're not under the Torah, right? We're not under the law. Mm, hang on just a minute. Paul actually uses seven different, I'm sorry, uses law in seven different ways in Scripture. Okay? First and foremost, he uses law for law of God. Okay? You can find Scripture references here on your screen to verify and back that up. I invite you to do so. Like we always tell you, test everything, even from us. He refers to the law of sin. He refers to the law of sin and death, the law of Christ, the law of faith, the law of righteousness, and the law of the spirit and life. So when he says we're not under the law, which law is he referring to? Which of these seven is he referring to? Well, take a little bit closer look at it. For sin shall not rule over you, for you are not under the law, but under favor. Okay, it's talking about sin here, right? Taking it all in context. For sin shall not rule over you. If you're not under the law, but under favor. So knowing that Paul speaks about seven different kinds of law, which law do you think he's talking about here? The law of, excuse me, the law of God, the Torah, or something different? Well, we see he's talking about sin. So it makes sense that when he says that we are not under the law, that the law he's referring to is the law of sin and death. So take everything into context. That's very important for understanding scripture. Context, context, context. And also remember, what it is that Peter said about the Apostle Paul. 2 Peter 3.16 <clears throat> As also in all his letters, speaking in them concerning these matters in which some are hard to understand, which those who are untaught and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do also the other scriptures. So, even Peter is telling us to really study out and understand Paul and don't just do a cursory glance and think you understand him. Sometimes it's hard to understand. That's what Peter's telling us. And that's why it's important to know that Paul speaks about more than just one law, more than just the law of God, the Torah. He speaks about the law of sin and death, etc., etc. And you got to take everything into context when he speaks of the law to understand which law it is that he's talking about. Another objection. Jesus, or Yeshua, did away with the Torah on the cross. He 
did away with that old law, right? You hear this a lot too. <clears throat> but there's very little of any supporting scripture on this. Let's look at Romans 10, 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Okay. So maybe they got a point, right? Maybe Jesus did do away with the law because it says right here that Christ is the end of the law. Mm, hang on a minute. Notice that word end right there, right? Sorry, I didn't get that lined up correctly, but it says for Christ is the end of the law. Of the law. Now, this is where we get into word study to understand the correct translation and interpretation of it. The Greek word here is Strong's G5056. Again, test everything. Test this out too. Look it up for yourselves. Do your own study. But this word is telos, and it means to set out for a definite point or goal, result, immediate, ultimate, or prophetic, or purpose. Okay. That's the word there in Romans 10, four that the King James translates as end. So if we do a more correct translation or look at a more tr correct translation, more modern one, anyways, in modern English usage, <coughs> how can we better understand this? Romans 10, four in the scriptures, 2009 translation, for Messiah is the goal of the Torah unto righteousness to everyone who believes. Messiah is the goal of the Torah. Amen. And all throughout scripture, all throughout the Tanakh, we see over and over again, messianic prophecies talking about the Messiah. And Yeshua fulfilled every single prophecy. He matched up perfectly with every single prophecy, right? That's how we know and can prove that Yeshua is the Messiah that was foretold. Now, not only did we just correct that understanding right there and now know the correct understanding of it, but think about the logic of it as well, about the Torah or the law being done away with by Jesus, okay? Think through this with us real quick. Now, if the Torah has been done away with at any point in history, we're going to go with this discussion that the Torah was done away with on the cross, right? That's the objection. So if the Torah has been done away with, then there is no Torah to break, right? Because it supposedly doesn't exist anymore. That means there is no sin because there is no longer Torah. Because remember, Sin is breaking of the Torah. So if there's no Torah, there's no breaking of the Torah. Therefore, there is, by definition in Scripture, no sin. And if there's no more sin, then the sacrifice of Yeshua is no longer relevant and valid. It means absolutely nothing to us today because we're all sinless, right? No. This is the kind of craziness you can get into when you start with a false foundation, something like Jesus did away with the Torah on the cross. And then you think it through, it doesn't work. Torah is still relevant. Yeshua 
kept the Torah, went through it, and exemplified it in his life perfectly. He was sinless. He never broke anything in Torah. And it's still relevant in our lives today, just as Yeshua is still relevant in our lives today. Another objection. You're just wanting to go back under the law and think you can be saved by works. I hear this a lot too, right? The whole, you know, legalistic um, objection. It's like, oh, you just want to go back under legalism. You want to go back under the law. You think you can be saved by works. Okay. Number one, I have been in the messianic mindset since 2008. Yeah. And during that time, I have never personally met anyone or read anything on on the internet or watched any videos on the internet where anyone is saying this, that you can be saved by works, be saved by works of the Torah. Never, not once. I've heard stories that they're out there, but I have never seen it for myself, nor have I ever said something like that. So... When people say this, they're speaking out of ignorance because they don't know, they don't understand. And this goes, this is a whole objection, presupposes two different things. Number one, that there was a time when we were under Torah and that now we're in a time when we're not under Torah. You can't go back under something that you're not under, right? That's the presupposition here. Okay, well, they're going to have to prove that. Otherwise, we're going to go with Scripture in that Torah is continuous and forever, and it was relevant in the past and applicable. It's relevant now and applicable in our lives in the present, and it's also going to be relevant and applicable in the future as well, as we saw from those Scriptures. Another presupposition is that we are promoting salvation through works. Okay, Again, have not ever said that have not ever exemplified that, have not ever seen anyone or met anyone who believes that salvation is through works, okay? Because most everyone I have met in the Hebrew mindset reads and studies their scriptures, and they know the scriptures better than most of the people making this objection. Because we know passages like Galatians 2.16, Knowing that a man is not declared right by works of Torah, but through belief in Yeshua Messiah. Even we have believed in Messiah Yeshua in order to be declared right by belief in Messiah and not by works of Torah. Because my works, I'm sorry, because by works of Torah, no flesh shall be declared right. Okay, we've read this. We know this. We've studied this. We know that there is no salvation by works. There's no salvation by Torah. There's salvation by faith, through grace, by the sacrifice of Yeshua. That's where salvation comes from. But Torah and works are still important. Even though it's not for salvation, they're still important. Okay, number one, go over the scriptures that we've already read. It shows and illustrates our belief in our faith. It's our fruit, right? And we also read in the book of Revelation that in the end times, we are rewarded by our works, right? I should have put that up there too, but oh, I just now remembered it. 
but it says that we shall be each rewarded according to our works. And remember that passage from Yeshua where he said those who break the Torah and teach others to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven? Me, I want to be called great in the kingdom of heaven by our Messiah. Okay? I already know there's going to be people greater than I, but I don't want to be called least because I was breaking the Torah that we were told to keep. They were breaking the Torah that was for our benefit. And this goes back to the whole thing that we don't keep Torah for our salvation, but rather because of our salvation, because we love Yahweh, and we know that we love Yahweh when we guard and keep his commands, when we guard and keep and do his Torah. Obeying the Torah is not the root of our salvation. It is the fruit of our salvation. We've already seen that in the scriptures we've examined. And it just gets so irritating and so frustrating when people keep saying <clears throat> that, oh, you want to keep Torah for salvation. You want to be saved by works. And it just makes you want to yell sometimes, right? <laughs> because you hear it so many times and you know it's just, such an ignorant statement because that's not well how we believe. That's not what we're promoting. And they just don't understand. They never take the time to get to know us and to understand us. And that's why they make statements such as that. James 2, 17 through 18. So also belief, if it does not have works, is in itself dead. But someone might say, you have belief and I have works. Show me your belief without your works and I shall show you my belief by my works. Deuteronomy 11:26 through 28. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing when you obey the commands of Yahweh your Elohim, which I command you today, and the curse if you do not obey the commands of Yahweh your Elohim. But turn aside from the way which I command you today to go after other mighty ones which you have not known. And this is important to know that when we obey and we guard and we keep the Torah, there are blessings for us. It opens the doors for blessings. But when we reject and we don't do the Torah, there are curses. Okay? And like we said in a previous draw, sometimes a curse can be that, the blessing that you miss out on. Okay? You want to be healthier? Eat according to Scripture, the way Yahweh told us to eat. You want to be healthier and happier? Rest when he tells you to rest. It is so nice to just work, 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 and get things done during the week. And then when that Shabbat horn rings on Friday nights, it's like, oh, this is time to relax. And just sit there and rest, spend time with you know, friends and family, get into some scripture study. Always love that. Learn some Hebrew, fellowship with others, and just rest. Take time off. Okay? That is a blessing. And that's what Torah is supposed to be for us and will be for us. It'll be a blessing when we keep it and when we do it because Torah is not hard. It's not heavy. It's not burdensome. It's not too difficult. We can do it. We should do it. And it's a joy to do Torah. And those of you out there who've been keeping Torah, 
you're right there along with me. You know exactly what I'm saying. So, in summary, <clears throat> the Torah has not been done away with because the Torah is forever. The Torah, better understood as instructions, are our guidebook as we live this life and as we go through life here on earth. The Torah existed before Sinai. We went over the logic behind that. If you disagree, that's fine too. Like I said, that's just our theory. Shaul promoted and taught the Torah. We saw that. That even after the death, burial, and resurrection of Yeshua, Shaul and the other apostles were still promoting, teaching, and keeping Torah. Scripture only speaks highly of the Torah, never negatively. You want to hear someone speak negatively about Torah? Go to mainstream church on Sunday morning. But you're not going to find that in your scriptures. There is no term Jewish law in scripture. Never, not once, is the Torah referred to in scripture as the Jewish law. The Torah applies to everyone. We saw that. It's not just for the native, but also the stranger as well. And if we do away with the Torah, then we negate the sacrifice of Yeshua. That's just the way the logic works out. And that's the God-honest truth. So, I want to thank you for joining us tonight. We appreciate you going along with us. Again, if you happen to miss anything...